Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Last night, tonight, tomorrow night, and both sermons on Sunday deals with the Holy Spirit in some way or other. I'm titling the message tonight, Witnessing, and our scripture is in the first chapter of Acts, verses 6 through 9. Last night we preached on verses 4 and 5. Sunday morning I used verses 1, 2, and 3. Tonight it will be 6 through 9, entitled Witnessing. And when they were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. It would seem logical to any rational mind, I think, that if you had sat under the teachings of a great teacher for three years, Surely, you and I would have gotten the message when it had been one message and that's all he had taught us. When the three years is up, we should have understood what he was talking about. Surely, any teacher could teach us one thing in three years and we'd know. But Jesus spent three years with his apostles told them that he had to die on the cross, that he would resurrect from the grave, and that he would go back to heaven, that his kingdom was not on this earth, but his kingdom was in heaven above. And all of this has come about, and they have now experienced it, and witnessed the death and the resurrection, and the pending ascension back to heaven. And then they have the audacity to say to Jesus, will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you now set up your kingdom on earth? And he's been telling them for three years that he doesn't have a kingdom on earth. His kingdom is not of this world. He said, if if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. When it came to his arrest and trial. The problem is, had their priorities all wrong. The same problem that you and I have. How many times have you, after the fact, realized that your priorities in life were wrong? What you thought was important became very unimportant. And those seemingly unimportant things in life loomed large before our very eyes and became the very center of our total attention. 
Upon what do you and I spend our time? Making money? In order that we might have physical things. Is that not true? In order we might have a house and an automobile, pay our utility bills, buy some food and put clothes on our back and spend a whole bunch of money having fun. Those are our priorities. But Jesus said, do not take thought for what you eat or what you drink or what you put on. Don't be concerned about physical things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But he didn't stop there. Then he said, in all these things, that is all these physical things that you want and desire, they'll be given to you. Isn't it strange that we can have all of our needs met in this world by the power of God? I said our needs met. I didn't say our wants. All our needs met in this world by the power of God and we don't believe it enough to put our priorities in order in order that we might achieve those things. The important thing in anyone's life has to be centered around spiritual affairs. But we don't believe that. We don't believe it. Count the amount of time this week, even including coming to a revival meeting each night for an hour and a half, that you have spent in direct relationship to God as opposed to your relationship to the physical. And if you're like me, you'll discover there's a small amount. For our days are consumed taking care of the secular and forgetting something that is of utmost importance. It's time that we stop thinking about the world and start thinking about heaven and God and our relationship to him. Because listen, although we might live to 70 or beyond, that time frame is extremely short in relationship to eternity. And why is it that any man or any woman will put everything he or she has into seeing to it that life upon earth is well taken care of and ignore an eternity? Where is the rationale in that kind of thinking? Why would we sacrifice anyone an eternity for a few years upon earth to have all the things that we seem to enjoy. Every one of us sat down, I suspect every one of us did this evening, and had a fine meal. We feed the body and let the soul starve to death. Amen. It's more important that the soul of man feeds on the word of God than it is that the body feeds upon the food that we eat. More important. But we don't believe that. 
if we believed it, we would practice it. Here come these disciples to Jesus and they're more interested in that Jesus set up his kingdom upon earth because they had political aspirations. James and John wanted to be Secretary of State and Secretary of the Treasury. And I'd already asked the Lord to give them those positions in his kingdom upon earth. I don't know what Peter wanted, but you can bet he wanted something pretty important. They, we, and this sinful, lost world that we live in thinks little about God and a lot about our stomachs. We think little about clothing our soul, but a lot about clothing our bodies. You women spend more on lipstick than is given to missions in the United States in any one year. We men spend more on shaving cream, likewise. To give the amount of money to the missionary efforts of our world to proclaim the gospel of Christ across this world costs each of us an average of one penny a day. That's all. That's all we give. That's all our interests are in winning the lost to Christ. Where's the offering plate? I'll put mine in. It's over there, so I'll leave it. But we thought nothing of spending a lot of money to satisfy the physical cravings of our life. And so were the disciples. All right, let's go look at verse 8. Jesus said, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, first of all, in verse 7, it's not for, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father's put in his own hands, referring to establishing the kingdom of Israel. Listen, the kingdom of Israel will be established, but not in the time they're talking about. That's, that's the end of the age period that we're talking about there. I'm not going to deal with that tonight. He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. It's in the Father's hand. He said, but you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. I want, to notice, I want you to notice the program of the church right here in verse 8. He said, you are going to receive power in the minds of most, if not all, unsaved people in this world, a Christian is a weakling. It's for women and children, but not strong, robust men. And any man who participates in the affairs of the church with the women and children is feminine in nature, else he wouldn't be a part of such a weak organization. But that's not what the Bible says. It takes a man of some constitution to be a Christian. It's not a weakling that becomes a part of the body of Christ. Someone who has power. There's power in the blood. 
We sing that all the time. The blood of Jesus Christ puts within us, man, woman, boy or girl, a power that the world does not understand. What is power? Power is the ability to attract the attention of people who have more power than we. The person who is more powerful than I is the one to whom I go when I want things done on my job. And those who are below me look to me and I have power to order and direct things to be done. Listen, we have access to the mightiest power there is in the entire universe. We have direct access to the power that's in the Godhead. In God above, in Christ His Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that I'm a weakling because I'm a Christian, because I'm going to tell you I've got power that you don't know anything about. And it doesn't come from within me, because my own abilities and my own powers are very, very weak. And so are yours. But we who are Christian are mighty. We are powerful. We can move mountains and we do move mountains. We can call upon God and invoke His power and because of our relationship with Him, He will respond to that which we request. You talk about power. There it is. Where do you find weaklings in that group? We're not talking about physical muscle. We're talking about spiritual muscle. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We've got something. The problem is we don't know what we got. Most of us. We don't make much use of it. We have abilities to achieve much for the cause of God and we're let it lie dormant. The church can be a powerhouse. Every Christian can be a powerhouse. What are we to do? Let's go on hurriedly. You shall receive power after something takes place. After the Holy Ghost comes into your heart, he says. And what are you going to be? And you shall be witnesses unto me. Now I want to deal with the word witness, and that's the whole theme of tonight's message. You shall be witnesses. He did not say you shall be judges or you shall be lawyers. He said you shall be witnesses. God doesn't need a lawyer to defend him. Did you know that? God doesn't need anybody to sit on the throne and pass out judgment. He said vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He sits on the throne. He's the one who will judge. Not you and me. One of the problems that we as Christians have, we try to get out of the role that he has placed us in. We try to become the lawyers and the judges. And he didn't ask for lawyers and judges. He asked for witnesses. And what does a witness do? A witness simply relates what he personally knows. That's all he asked for. He said to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify of what you know. Now Christian people, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how good a witness are we? You'd on the witness stand, if some of you have ever been there, and I've been there a few times, and you will soon discover that you can't talk about hearsay. 
You can't say what Brother Joe told me. You can only say what you know. What you have experienced. What you have witnessed. What you saw with your eyes. What you heard with your, hear, with your ears. You've got to have some direct relationship to the subject at hand or you're no good as a witness. If you don't know what happened, you're not going to be put on the witness stand. And any lawyer puts you up there when you don't know what you're talking about is dumb. I've had a few lawyers who've been pretty dumb in my time and in the court cases I've been in. But a smart lawyer will tell you before you go into the court case, you only tell what you personally know and don't elaborate. Don't say, I think. Say, I know. Here comes the weakness of the church creeping in because too many times we haven't had good enough experience to really testify of that which we are talking about. It is not enough that you say the preacher said so. It's not satisfactory that you say, I heard it in Sunday school class. What the Lord wants you to do, Christian, is to say what you know. Now the question that we need to ask ourselves tonight is, how do we know we're saved what is the power that makes us different now that we're Christian than we were before? We're going to have power to be witnesses. In the latter portion of that eighth verse, he talks about the plan of world evangelism. And there are three or four things actually that he says in that, that thing. Number one, he says, you shall be witnesses unto me first of all in Jerusalem. Listen, evangelism starts at home right where we live. We're going to influence the people about us by the witness that we give of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going to take anybody very long to see through any kind of pretense that we put up. If you're trying to pretend to be a Christian and you really aren't one, you're not fooling anybody but yourself. Nobody but yourself. Anybody that's got a, a lick of sense, can see through pretense. And you know it and I know it. And it's time we quit pretending to be Christians and actually stand on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And if we don't have it, we better get it. Amen. Our churches are full of pretending Christians. People who say they've got something that they don't have. People are trying to talk about something they don't know the subject. Billy Graham has said the greatest evangelism field in the world is inside the church, and I believe that strongly. And I'm preaching more to the church tonight than any other group of people. But those of you who are not Christian, you listen to me. But listen, if you are a member of a church, and I don't care what church, but you don't personally know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell just as much as if you never belong to any church. Because the membership of the Olive Branch Baptist Church or any other church, whatever denomination it might be, does not give oneself a ticket to anywhere. It's immaterial. What causes one to have the right to go to heaven is that he personally has had a meeting with Jesus Christ. 
If you haven't had it, you're not going to witness in Jerusalem or anywhere else. Then he says, witness in Judea. Well, that's broadening it out just a little bit. In the country round about. One of the greatest mission fields in the whole world is in Boone County and in West Virginia. West Virginia is one of the least churched states in the United States. Only 30% of the people of West Virginia even belong to a church. Did you know that? When the national average is, I don't know, something up over 60%. I'm talking about belonging to church. That's the only figure that we can go on. And I have been told, and I can't verify this, so don't, don't take it for truth, but I've been told that Boone County is the least churched county in West Virginia. I don't know that. But if that's true, brethren, we have a mission field outside our doors here that won't quit. And according to the list that we have, that we have in prayer for our prayer meetings, that list is growing and growing. There are, I don't know how, 200 and some on it now of people that we know of our own acquaintances and friends and families that have never claimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, church, we have a mission field. And our job is to witness of what we know to the community in which we live. Then he spreads it out and says to Samaria. Well, Samaria was an area where there was some, some people of other nationalities, some half-breeds and so on. And so it spread out further because the gospel of Christ must reach to all creeds, all races, all colors. It makes no difference. And finally, he says, even to the world. Philip was a deacon, and the Lord caught him up and sent him down to uh, the desert to talk to a man from Ethiopia. That man was a, was a black man. It makes no difference the color of one's skin, whether it's black, white, red, or yellow. Is that the four we have? I guess it is. It makes no difference. And when we start worrying more about the color of one's skin than we are about the color of one's heart, and there's only two colors there, black and white. If one's heart has not been regenerated, it's black with the power of sin, and we ought to be saving it. And that's just simply an illustration of darkness as opposed to light, and white representing those who have been exposed to the light. And it makes no difference the external affairs of man, but it does make a difference the internal affairs of the heart, and God loves every man, woman, child this world over. We teach our kids to sing, Jesus loves the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. If we're going to teach our kids that, we better start believing in ourselves. We're in the business of saving souls, period. And it's time we reach out to the world and preach to them something that we know. Well, in verse 9, he talks about departing from this world. And he was speaking to them, and the cloud received him up out of their sight. You know, this is one of the most touching verses to me in all the scripture. Jesus went home. I want you to think of it. Some years before, God above searched for someone who would come to this earth being absolutely perfect and be willing to die, to shed his blood, to have his body torn with the crucifixion. And why did he do it? Because he loved me. 
Jesus would have died on the cross had I been the only man in this world. He would have died on the cross had you been the only man or the only woman in this world. He would have died for you. Why? Because God loved you enough to give his only begotten son. And what did he ask? Just believe in him. Just receive him. Just accept that gift. Now he's going home. He's going home in a glorified body. It's battle-scarred. The nail prints are still in the hands and his feet. The imprints of the thorns are still around his brow. The wound in his side is still present. He's been in a battle. He was wounded and died. Not because any man killed him, but because he laid his life down of his own will. And now he's gone home. Picture in your mind, Jesus ascending from the earth. A cloud came by and he simply just disappeared. He went to heaven. He walked down that street of gold, right up to the throne of God. I don't know what God did, but let me tell you what I think he did. I think the Lord God got off that throne and came down and met his son with his arms outstretched and said, Welcome home, son. I'll never forget when I was a boy. My dad was in Second World War. He was a prisoner of war in Germany for many months. Came home just a skeleton of a man. I was just a young lad, but I will never forget when we went to see my grandfather, his dad, on his arrival home. My grandfather came out with his arms outstretched. And he said, Welcome home, son. A son that he never expected to see again. Some of you went through that same experience. And they put their arms around each other and hugged. I remember that to this day. But listen, that experience of two men in the yard of my grandfather's house that left an impression upon me that will never leave me is nothing compared to the impression that I have of God opening up his arms and accepting back again his son. And the son would have said something like this, Father, I did what you asked me to do. I did it. I completed it. I finished. And the father said, sit down on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Welcome home, son. What is going to be your experience when you walk out of this world? Will the path be up? Perhaps a cloud receive you out of sight of men? And as you set your feet upon that street of gold like Jesus did, are you going to see the outstretched hands of the Lord Jesus? Amen saying, welcome home, son, daughter, 
I died for you, and you lived for me. Now I welcome you. Or will it be that on that day of judgment, when every man will stand before the throne of God, that same Jesus will not have his hands outstretched saying, Welcome home, son. But he will sit there in judgment and he will look you straight in the eye and say, Depart from me, you cursed. And you try to justify yourself. He says, I never knew you. Never knew you. Depart. What does this coming home mean to you and to me? Well, he sat down on the right hand of his father. There we have an advocate. There's one thing about Jesus sitting down on the right hand of his father now, with his hands scarred and his feet scarred and his head scarred, and all of this. He knows what it was like to live down upon earth. For he lived there for 33 years as a man would live, grew up in a home as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. He experienced every difficulty that man could experience. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to have not enough clothing. He knew what it was like to not have even a roof over his head. He never had a dime in his name. He never owned anything. He knew what it was like to be abused. He knew what it was like to be laughed at and spat upon and beaten. He knew every experience. He knew what it was like to be tempted. He was tempted like as you and I are tempted. There was only one difference. He did it without sin because he was God. But he understands. And when you have your difficulties and your problems and you take them to him, he can say, I understand my child because I was there. And I think it ought to cause us to sing with, with, with great voice and deep heart that old hymn that says hallelujah what a savior who can take a poor lost sinner and lift him from the miry clay and set him free I will ever tell the story shouting glory 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 hallelujah Jesus ransom me I want to know tonight have you been ransomed I tell you what the price has been paid the only thing missing in some of the lives of people in this congregation tonight is you have never accepted the ransom to cover your sin. And until you do, don't you ever expect those hands to be outreached and say, Welcome home, son. Because they won't be there. Only those who love God will rest in the bosom of God. Amen. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? then act upon your belief get off the pride horse admit your sin admit that you're lost until you do you're never going to be saved but once you will admit your condition most of this congregation at one time or other has done until you admit it you're never going to get anywhere we witness to the lost tonight of what we know 
There's only one way that I can stand up here and say what I'm saying. Only one way, and it's the way that the blind man did it, who was healed. The blind man had been blind from his birth. And Jesus came along one day and restored that man's sight. And the man went in the church praising God and shouting glory to God. And the people of the church became skeptical. And the thing saying, aren't you the guy that was blind? How come you now can see? And his answer was, I don't know. All I know is that once I was blind and now I can see. I don't know how it happened. Listen, I can't explain my rebirth either. All I know is that once I was on my way to hell and I opened my heart and said, Lord Jesus, save my soul. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit of God came out of heaven into my heart and has convinced, convinced me uh, to this very day that once I was lost and now I'm saved. Amen. Do you know that kind of power? I don't stand here before you as a lost child of God. I stand before you as a sinner saved by grace, by the power of God. And I know I'm on my way to heaven because I gave myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that He's true to His Word. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I called on His name one day, and He did the rest. Now, how about you? Will you just simply yield to that same call? Will you? Listen, if you don't, hell is down, heaven is up. The only thing that this church can do, the only thing I can do, is witness. I'm not going to be a judge. God's going to be a judge. I'm not going to be God's lawyer. I don't have to plead God's case. He didn't ask me to do that. Not a one of us were asked to be the lawyer for God. All he asked us to do is witness. We've tried to witness tonight through the music, through the preaching, through the reading of the word, through prayer. We've witnessed. Now what you do with that witness is your own business. And if you don't want to accept that witness, you just say no. But I'll tell you one thing, to say no to God is mighty dangerous. Nobody goes to heaven except those who have opened their heart and said, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins and save my soul. If you will ask God this night in your own heart to say, God, forgive me my sins and save my soul, I guarantee you, on the strength of his own word, a miracle will take place in your life tonight. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. You can make that decision there in your seat. But Jesus said, he that is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed before my Father. If you're not willing to admit your sin and publicly say, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior, there would be some doubt, some real doubt whether you're serious about it or not. And so in order to, to put feet on what you say, we ask you to step out of your seat and come down the front.
Just like the blind man, he said, I don't know what took place. All I know is I was once blind and now I can see. And he was standing there in front of the church wanting everybody to know that he could see. We want people to know that you can see that something has taken place in your life. Will you do it? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.